There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Sometimes when you fix things, you just end up making them worse. You know, it's like when you have a spot on your face and you pick it and before you oh, know stop, it... stop, 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 stop. <laughs> Everybody, welcome to another episode of the Bakedown Podcast. We are on to week seven this week, and pastry week. Uh, it feels like we've already had pastry week with all the phyllo pastry and apple pies we've had in previous weeks, but this is officially pastry week. Uh, I am Sarah, and with me we have the lovely. I got told off for not saying that last time. Howard, Jane, and Dan, and of course we are going back to series four and uh, reliving all our past memories of Bake Off. Now, Howard, this is the first episode that you weren't in. Uh, obviously, after your far too soon departure last week, how did you feel watching the rest of the series back? Now you're not in it anymore. It was strange, actually, because it's a mixture of, of of emotions, I suppose. Partly that there's the sense that there are certain things where you think, oh, I would have liked to have done that. And there are other things, particularly the showstopper this week, where I'm thinking, my goodness, I was really struggling with this. And actually, I'm sort of relieved that I wasn't there. I did end up having huge bag of freeze-dried blackberries, which took me ages <laughs> to work through because I'd intended to do some blackberry eccles cakes as as one of my Ooh, that sounds uh, nice. my bakes but but yeah little bit of a relief i think it was a lot to do wasn't it there were so many pastries by the end of the challenges so yes let's crack straight on and get into it let's get into our signature challenge which this time was a suet pudding bit of an old-fashioned thing according to mary it's being revived here they could have a sweet or savoury suet pudding, can be steamed, boiled or baked, and they had three hours. Now, what did anybody think of this challenge? I've never baked a suet pudding. I didn't know that was an option. That was the main thing I thought. I thought, oh, you can bake them. I would normally steam them. What's the difference between steaming and boiling? Is it pretty much much of a muchness? But yeah, I think I probably would have done with gone with something pretty, pretty classic. I probably would have done, because it was one of my sort of family favourites, 
Um, as probably I'd have tried to have done a Sussex Pond pudding. I don't know if I would have had enough time though, and it might have been a little bit too simple. But yeah, that was sort of a, a favourite one. I never really had even jam roly polies. I never really had that many suet puddings. It was more just like a steamed pudding or a sort of a, a version of Sussex Pond pudding. So I would have been a little bit lost with this one. I would have been a little bit on my own. Jane, roly poly pudding, something you like? Well, you would think so, given my age, wouldn't you? You'd have thought we'd had it every day for pudding. No, I, I, I've never made a suet pudding. I've made dumplings, but I've never made a suet pudding. And my parents or my mother never really made any. Maybe a steak and kidney pudding occasionally. I don't think I would have struggled with the concept. I might well have struggled with the bake, but I quite like the idea of it, really. I know we, I have some, we have many American friends other than all of you who listen, of course, who we consider our friends. One in particular that used to work with my husband a lot, and when he came over, he always liked all things British. He'd like to go to a, a very traditional pub. And he used to go They used to, go to restaurants where they could have spotted dick because it just made him laugh so much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, being a big child that I am, <laughs> as are most of my family, some of these things make me snigger inappropriately. Uh, but I, I thought it was a lovely challenge. I have written some very strange comments here because I, I watched the signature a couple of days ago and then I, I finished watching the showstopper today. And I've written with against Francis, ginger dick exclamation mark. And I'm assuming I wasn't talking about Prince Harry at the time. So, um, Jane! <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry. Um, <laughs> oh, it's all come out in the memoir now. We, we can talk about it. Then against Kimberly, I've written, I love Paul. And I think what I must have left out was, I love it, as a comment from Paul. Is this one of my deep, dark secrets that even I don't know about? Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. <laughs> Somebody might be able to correct me on both of those things. But no, I thoroughly enjoyed this episode. And I like—I really like this challenge. It was just an interesting one. It was a really good challenge, definitely. Howard, please tell me that I'm not the only person in the room that grew up on jam roly polies. <sighs> I didn't. Have you guys not like having suet puddings? You are the only person in the room. Yeah, so like like Jane, my mum would have made probably a, a steak and kidney pudding. And I've done uh, spotted dick, you know, steamed spotted dick before. But I can't recall ever having had jam roly poly. Oh, um, my Lord. What is going on today? I, thought, <laughs> I genuinely thought that jam roly poly was another name for a Swiss roll, vanilla Swiss roll with jam in it. I, th- I think I need to leave. I don't know who you are anymore. I need to go. Oh, I, I made a jam roly poly a couple of months ago, and I baked it in the oven. I did exactly the same as Christine did. You put a pleat in the grease proof and just bake it in the oven. It just swells beautifully. That amazed me, actually, because... Ruby was was the one that I I saw. Um, so Francis obviously baked hers, but baked it exposed in the oven. But Ruby put hers in what looked like grease proof and then in foil or something, tied the ends and then baked it that way. I've it's never like a seen ballotine or something. I've, yeah. never, I've never thought about that at all. Very odd. Well, I, I guess it, it's it. You get the steam mm. from itself mm. rather than having steam from the outside. But it was very close textured, wasn't it? Was it Glenn that put his in a milk loaf pan? So that would have been enclosed, wouldn't it? Yes. 
And he didn't have the same problem. I just wanted to ask you all about that, because that seemed like it was... I mean, Paul brought that up, didn't it? That it was so enclosed, it, he was worried it wouldn't have anywhere to go. Well, I do this with bread, obviously, for a milk roll pan. Well, uh, what I have used is a Pullman pan, which gives you a square loaf. Um, you have to be very, very careful about exactly how much bread dough you've put in and exactly how much you've proved it, because you wanted to get the shape of the tin, but obviously you don't want it to have a dense crumb. And that's very tricky, that's really tricky to do right. And I think that might have been the stars aligning for him because uh, I did not think that was going to go so well. And I think he did say that that was the best it had ever gone. But I would not have been brave enough to have tried that. I would have felt like that was uh, an accident waiting to happen. Wouldn't you have thought so? I also couldn't understand with Glenn's why. Um, so he'd got like a chunk that had stuck to the top, hadn't he? And, and then he was trying to disguise the bit. With with sugar, and I'm thinking, why did you it not on. just yeah, pick yeah. that chunk off the top you, and stick it back in? Yes. I, it reminds me of, and I use this analogy all the time in my classes. It's sometimes when you fix things, you just end up making them worse. You know, it's like when you have a spot on your face and you pick it, and before oh, stop, you know it, stop, 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 stop. It's stop. all red. You got <laughs> fingernail marks. <laughs> like, <I don't> <laughs> Oh, delightful. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. But then what got me? I mean, he put the icing sugar on it and I thought, oh, great, lovely. Cover it in icing sugar, hides a manner of sins, no problem. I'm just going to grill yeah, it. Yeah, I don't know. And then it came out and he was like, oh, <laughs> that bit doesn't work. Oh, now blowtorch it. Said, Stop. <laughs> it's already dead. <laughs> Leave it alone. <laughs> it's already dead. You're going to put a prune on top. But, but would you just... Mix uh, some lovely pr- creamy prune or something and put that on top. Yes! And he had those lovely curls he was going to put on anyway. I was like, no one will be looking, Glenn. It's fine. Leave yeah. it. Goodness yeah. me. Goodness me. <laughs> well, yes, we had a lot of uh, lovely flavours and everybody just seemed to do really, really well. We had a couple of spotted dicks, uh, or we had a spotted dick and a ginger dick. Um, I can, I'm sure Jane is laughing inside now keeping it inside we also had a couple of roly-poly puddings jam roly-polies which are just one of the best puddings ever we even had a savory one from becca now howard uh, obviously you will have had all of your recipes planned out up to this point and a bit further so what would you have done i'm pretty sure mine was a chicken and mushroom one or certainly chicken and shallot or something and it had a ta- it had tarragon in the um in the suet crust so yes but i can't remember i, th- I think i was just going to make a gravy with a stock cube or something <laughs> <laughs> i can't remember what i was doing as the sauce to go with it no, i'm assuming there was a sauce I, I didn't i haven't written that down but everybody's did ice cream or a sauce so i'm guessing that was part of the brief yes it was they had to have some accompaniment uh, with it i think partly because they knew that whether you're steaming it or baking it, you've got a lot of dead time there where you need to be doing something to uh, to occupy yourself. You now, know? Howard, were you like me? The weeks, you know, sort of half, about halfway through the competition, I had all my recipes planned. And then after that, it all started to get a little bit hazy and just a little bit kind of, yeah, some kind of like, is that what you had for week seven? Or did you have yours planned out all the way to the finale? I had them planned out, but you're absolutely right, not properly kind of tried and tested and so on. I think the thing that really did my head in, well, two things did my head in about this week. One was just the sheer amount of puff pastry that you had to make and construct into things. And having seen 
some people do quite simple things like volivons and things like that. You think, oh, yeah, I wish I'd have thought there could be a really simple one as well as all the shaping and meal foil and so on. But the other thing was that with the suet pudding, I was going for a steamed one. The length of time that it has to be steaming for. So you're trying to get that balance between a big enough pudding to fit the brief for family sized, but also getting it to steam within about an hour and a half. You know, it's, uh, it's tricky. And this is something that was brought up last week with the tea loaves. I think Mary criticised a lot of people for making them too big. So, you know, you want to get the balance. It's tricky. I certainly spend a lot of time in recipe development testing really basic things like the size of your pudding and how long it would need to cook. And it would take you hours and hours and hours to test one simple variable. It took so much time. And yeah, this week seemed like it would be a lot, a lot of busy work getting ready for it. So I probably wouldn't have been ready. It's probably why I messed up in my pastry, Howard. <laughs> well, we had some really lovely flavours uh, coming through. I thought that Francis's sounded lovely figgy roly poly pudding always the pun on words uh with a caramelized walnut and honey ice cream with a little bit of goat's cheese what do we think about that just to sort of enhance that earthiness that comes from the the honey i would have liked to have tried that yeah i would have. i liked it in theory i thought you would have you're my cheese man <laughs> The episode just went over its budget on the word goat so much. <laughs> I, was just a bit, I was a bit fed up of it by the end. I thought it was a nice I thought it was a nice idea to balance the sweetness and the lemon. I get it, but I just heard the word goat way too many times. It's an interesting idea. Would you try that, Jane? Or No, I wouldn't. I love I love goat's cheese, but sometimes I just think you just push it a bit too far. It's gonna be one of those ingredients that splits the crowd it's very marmite isn't it you either love it or you hate it i think so and it's a bit like having a a savory ice cream as a starter i've been watching the great british menu recently and you know you go here's your starter and we're giving you a goat's cheese ice cream and i'm like just save that for the end and equally i think save goat's cheese for the cheese course she got away with it she got away with it really well because I love the rest of her sound but there's something else to cut through the sweetness you don't have to put a bit of goat in it I don't think I don't know I, I disagree I, I quite like have you ever had um apple pie with a little bit of cheese in the pastry that's well, cheese that's in great. the pastry is fine yeah yeah. It's not a million miles away from mascarpone, I don't think. It depends. I can't stomach goat's cheese. I used to love it, but then my son had horrible reflux when he was a baby. And to, to alleviate it, he drank goat's milk, sort of a goat's-based milk. And it was still slightly better, but still the smell of goat's cheese will just set me off. And I can't eat it anymore. I know it's ruined it because I used to love those caramelised red onion and goat's cheese tarts. They used to be one of my favourite things in the world. And now the second I smell one, I'm like, so uh, yeah. (laughs) Well, me, 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 and Howard can have your share, yours as share of goat's cheese then, because we we both love it. So that's sort of that. Uh, Well, we had some other lovely flavours. Becca's savoury spring lamb and vegetable suet pudding with red currant gravy sounded really nice. And she got the textures right. You know, the the meat and the veg were well cooked through, but not having too much juice leaking out the other end. What do we think of that one? When I have a meat suet pudding, it's a bit like a summer pudding, I suppose. You want the gravy on the inside. She didn't have any gravy on the inside, but you want the gravy on the inside to sort of seep out and soak into the pastry so you'll have a pastry and then 
pastry soaked with gravy and then the rest of your filling. So it looks a bit insipid to me. I'm sure it tasted delicious, but it just looked a little... I wanted a bit more. I wanted a bit more colour in there and I wanted a bit more gravy on the inside. I understand that she didn't want everything to go soggy, but sometimes a bit of soggy suet pudding is really what you want. Oh, actually, I'm, I haven't had breakfast. I'm salivating, actually. <laughs> <laughs> But isn't that part of the appeal? Like when you have like, for example, like suet dumplings in something and they are kind of soggy, aren't they? They're maybe a bit crusty on top, but they're a bit, they're sort of soggy underneath. And that's not a bad thing, is no, it? No, I don't think so. I think, no. I think that's the appeal of suet. It's an odd pastry and it is crisp and it shouldn't on the outside and it shouldn't be too thick, but there is like a... A stodgy, sogginess to it. Yeah. So I'm not saying it should be light and airy. I'm like, not that light. It is suet. Not always. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's relative. I found some of that. I, it did make me question whether my appreciation of suet was was the same yeah. as as Paul and Mary's. Really, <laughs> but, like, it should know. be light and airy. I thought, oh, it's not what I've ever yeah. heard. It's a winter dish, isn't it? As well, it's comforting winter food. Yeah. You don't go on a day when it's eighty degrees outside and say, "Oh, I think I'm going to have a suet pudding and custard." And you don't take it on a summer picnic. No, no. you don't. No. Inside, yeah, it it is. It's dumplings, isn't mm. it? It's that sort of mm. stodginess. Heavy, yeah. But it's nice if you want light and airy. Make a cake. Don't make a suet pudding. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. So has anybody had barberries? Yes, I've had barberries. I think I had them in a a sort of salad recently, sort of sprinkled over the top. But yeah, very very sharp. I've heard of the Barbary pirates. Is that the same thing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say no. Possibly not. Well, yes, this was in uh, Kimberly's lovely pudding. Kimberly's Barbary and apple spotted dick with a maple syrup and white chocolate custard. That sounded amazing to me. And she described them as sort of a cross between a cranberry. So you've got the tanginess from a cranberry and a raisin. So you still that sort of intensity of the fruit. And I think she did something very, very smart with the apple. She used dried apple so that it would help absorb a little bit of the excess moisture and then would plump up a bit. That sounded very, very smart. She has good knowledge, Kimberly. She's a great baker. And a little tip, actually, if you want to caramelise some apple for decorations like people that caramelise walnuts, don't do it with fresh apple because the moisture on the end of the apple then softens the caramel. But if you dip dried apple pieces into caramel and use those for decoration, they stay wonderfully crunchy. So dried apple's a really good ingredient, I think. Very nice. Mm. And let's just go through and mention our other bakers. Uh, we had, it, I think it was Christine's that was a, a ginger dick, I believe, was wasn't it? it? A, was it? Yes. A, ginger dick. a spotted yeah. dick with a kick, um, <laughs> just putting ginger in there. Now, she said she didn't want to change too much about it. You know, spotted dick, I think she said it was her husband's favourite. So she didn't want to change it too much. I kind of like that. I mean, Sarah, you know, because you hear me wittering on about it all the time. <laughs> is I do, I do feel that the classics are the classics for a reason, you know, because they're already kind of as good as they can be, the sort of a refined version that people have tried and tested. And I don't think there's anything wrong with a spotted dick. And I think, you know, jazzing up a little bit by adding a bit of ginger, fine. Is it up to the bake-off standards of adding, you know, a couple of unique extra flavours? Maybe not, but I still would have really enjoyed eating that. And I think that's where we as bakers 
face the confusion when we're building a recipe. We're like, how much is it okay to be just traditional and what's known and tried and tested? And how much do I have to add two crazy flavours to it? And if I was someone like Howard, who's very good at adding crazy flavours to things, then maybe I'd uh, be okay with that. But I'm not so inventive as Howard, maybe. What did you think, Howard? Yeah, I personally, I'd have put a bit of goat's cheese in there. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think it literally is in the name Signature Bake, isn't it? And if it is something that is part of your repertoire, part of your tried and tested Signature Bakes, then I, I think it's absolutely right that Christine should do that. So, and she'd shown show some skill as well with the... Um, vanilla custard ice cream so yeah nice nice combination do you think this is bake-off syndrome you know trying maybe too hard to put more flavors into something so rather than just saying yes i'm making a spotted dick it's a suet challenge there we go it's the pressure maybe of, of late of more recent series of having to put more in to make it different and interesting whereas as we all keep saying, it's a signature challenge. If it's in your canon, if it's in your stock of, of things, make it. There we go. Done. Absolutely agree, Sarah. I think um, the problem is you hear Paula Mary saying week after week, well, if it's, you know, it's so classical, you've got to get it exactly right. As though you don't have to get it exactly right if you stick in matcha powder <laughs> yes. or something, you know. <laughs> uh, but in the brief, for a signature it has to be something that means something to you so we of course we would make it up and and try and say that it's something that your child loved or your mother loved or your something or you had on a family holiday which is a load of <laughs> rubbish really but the brief is it has to be something that is special for you and then of course I always stick matcha or barberies or something in everything I do so therefore it would be fine you know it is, I think, bake-off syndrome. We all try to do something a little bit exciting. Um, but in the signature, same as everybody's already said, if it's something special to you and you do it well and you love it, then that is a signature bake. But I'm blooming sure a lot of people haven't stuck in half of what they normally... Oh, actually, actually, I'm going to take all that back. Oh. Because we had... I am. We have a plum jam roly-poly and ginger ice cream. Fairly classic. You just use plum jam. Spotted dick with barberries. Okay, well, we'll ignore the barberries. Figgy roly-poly. Well, that sounds pretty standard, isn't it? If you didn't want jam. You know, a lamb thing and a spotted dick. I think there were some fairly classic bakes in there. It's just that Christine never say it's classic. <laughs> yeah. Never say it's classic because they pick up mm. on that and they they beat you with that classic label at the end. They're using that insecurity against you, aren't they? For a bit of drama. Although uh, very very much like Norman and his pesto, for me, putting a bit of cinnamon in something is quite exotic. Yeah. <laughs> that was my trick. I'm like, it's spiced now. There's a bit of cinnamon in it. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> and then if you could put it in the title that it's spiced, it sounds even fancier. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. That's my trick. I use that a lot. <laughs> well, just touching on everybody's, we've mentioned everybody's apart from Ruby. And Jane, you just mentioned it there. The plum jam roly-poly with ginger ice cream sounds beautiful just sounds really as you said nice and classic and other words sometimes can get a bit overused uh but really good yes the judges seem to like it as well beautifully flavored uh the ice cream was great they said a bit close textured but i as i think we've universally agreed suet puddings are yeah, yeah but also 
I just and this I'm just going to moan about judging for a second, but you're used to this by now. I just feel like that the critiques are sometimes okay. So if the if the texture is close relative to others, to me that's sort of like a baking error. But it was just sort of glossed over like it was absolutely nothing. Whereas I feel like sometimes other people are beaten over the head with their uh, baking errors. On this season, it seems to me the critiques are especially short. Do you feel that way looking at later seasons or just me? Jane and I and, and, and Sarah were talking about this uh, just before you joined, Dan. Yeah, I was late, all I right. Think, no, I saw that. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. But uh, we were saying that I, I think this was one of the occasions where the judging was skewed slightly because they were eating cold suet puddings. And I, I don't know whether you could make proper judgments about what the texture would have been like when it was freshly out of the steamer or freshly out of the oven, it would have altered a bit. So I think they were having to kind of act a little bit on some of the uh, some of the judgment. Yes, potentially so. I mean, we were discussing this. If you, for anybody who doesn't know, suet puddings are usually meant to be eaten uh, hot, fresh, fresh out of the pan. Yeah, fresh. Yeah. Yes, exactly, hot and fresh out of the steamer or oven. And uh, as as you three all know, the amount of time it takes to clean up the benches, get the beauty shots, and then the judges come round to eat slightly cold spotted dick. It's uh, it would have been lukewarm, wouldn't it? Oh, if they were lucky, it would have been lukewarm. Really, I think it would have been quite cold. I would have still eaten it joyously, actually, blown blown the calories. Well, I think this was a definitely a very good challenge for everybody. Becca had some good meat and veg textures. Christine's was beautiful. I think Mary said everything about that is right which is a very nice comment. Francis had lovely comments as well. Great texture, a very attractive. Glenn's was odd because Mary said there was too much booze and Paul said it was perfect. So that was a, a bit of a topsy-turvy moment there. Kimberly had very, very good flavours, the sweet and sharp and sour notes all balanced perfectly. And uh, as we've said about Ruby's, beautifully flavoured and great ice cream. So a very, very good start to the week. Well, let's move on to our technical challenge, which this week was focusing on shoe pastry. And we had to do eight perfect relégeuses. I just really wanted to say that in a French accent, which is little shoe nuns topped with ganache uh, and filled with creme pat and decorated with whipped cream piping as well. Now, this was a two hour challenge. Now, Howard, I'm going to come straight to you because you have done something very similar to this challenge for a Christmas class that we've done for a couple of years, haven't you? Now, do you have any tips for making these lovely either snowmen or nuns, depending on uh, what you're making. (laughs) The shoe pastry is not too difficult. Sometimes it's tricky to get that evenness. And I think that's one of the things that we were seeing with a lot of people. That I think I think Glenn said there were some really ugly nuns, weren't they? Because they they <laughs> sort of can that you want them to puff out nicely and evenly into balls, and they don't always behave as as well as as that. But uh, but yeah, it it's a it's a task really in in sort of it's multitasking, isn't it? So you've you've got to get. The, the kind of four elements, right? The cream is pretty straightforward, but the creme pat and the ganache and the the uh, the shoe baked um, properly 
And then it's allowing yourself enough time for that assembly because it's always going to take longer than you think it's going to do. But do you not find that, I mean, shoe gets its name, literally means cabbage in French, because if you pipe a blob of it, it often does end up looking like a cabbage. Is it not really hard, I find, when stacking shoe is to get them to, because uh, they're so uneven, it's really hard to get them to stack nicely. I mean, if you've got a caramel or something to stick them together, then maybe a little bit easier. But that seems super hard. Do you not struggle with that, Howard? I do. I'm, I mean, if I'm doing kind of profiteroles, it's absolutely fine. Because it's a, I always say it's a little bit like dry stone walling. You can pick one that will fit into another one. You can choose the ones you want and use the ganache and so on and get them to, to join together however you want. But when you, you're limited to when you've got one ball and a smaller ball to sit on top, Oh, it's hard, isn't it? Yeah, I would struggle with that. My shoe is not the most reliable, I've got to be honest. It's a little bit, it's pretty irregular. And I have various tips to help keep it more regular, using a French star tip, even when piping profiteroles. I do Fanny Craddock's old technique. I let the shoe rest completely and completely cold. So I make the shoe and then leave it for a couple of hours, even like put it in the fridge. And that helps. But obviously they wouldn't have had time for any of that here. So they would have been at the mercy of the winds of the baking gods. So this would have, I would have really struggled with this. I know I would have been the one of the people going, oh no, it's fallen off. I think that would have been me. (laughs) (laughs) There were a lot of decapitated buns. Especially if you've got a runny ganache as well. So it's not exactly stable if you're sticking one. But they could have piped a blob of cream on it and stuck the head on with a blob of cream and then piped around it. I mean, I, I didn't think of that while I was watching the episode. I've just thought of it now. But yeah, and shoe is... Fancy making a nun out, honestly. Whoever whoever came up with that idea, honestly, it's quite fun. The only way you can get it looking really perfect is to do a crackalan and do a small crackalan and a large crackalan. For those of you who don't know what crackalan is, it's equal quantities of light brown sugar, butter and flour. And you mix it up and roll it out really thin between some sheets of um, baking paper and then cut it out into circles. And you put it on top of your blob of shoe. And as it cooks, it melts and contains the shoe into a nice round shape, which is lovely. Gives you a nice crunch on the top. Dan, I think you've done uh, crackling shoe buns Mm. um, coloured pink, pink, I think. It's my favourite way to make them because it's the most reliable way to get a consistent rise. Yeah. Have you ever tried making, doing crackling on an eclair shape to get it as a neat rectangle i actually haven't but that would probably work very well i think i was looking at the cutters for them and they were very expensive so that's probably that's usually what stops me from doing something is that when you go on the silicon art website or whatever and everything's horrifically overpriced i mean competitively and fairly priced please sponsor us silicon art yeah. <laughs> but, but if you're doing a rectangle you can cut it out with a ruler and a knife you oh, do not need a cutter true i know but I'm very lazy, very lazy. <laughs> well, we did have a few problems with the consistency of the pastry. I believe it was Glenn who struggled, uh, and I think Christine did as well. Glenn seemed to have a moment of like, I don't know why I did that. He was like, I, I added everything and then I added the egg straight away. I've done shoe a million times. I don't know what I'm doing. So I think Glenn's was just a moment of madness because he did redo his and he did well. 
Yeah, but Christine, I think she added too much egg. Well, she flattened them as well. She flattened them so that when she was putting it on the tray, she she pressed them down so she had an indentation to put the head on, which I liked the thinking, but actually then she had a very flat shoe, didn't she? Yeah, I would just, to put the peaks down, I just wet my finger, sort of literally dip your finger in some water and push the peaks down so that you don't get the burny bits. But I wouldn't have actively flattened it in that way. Seemed a rather odd choice, definitely. But it would make me laugh, and it's always just never, ever say that you're good at these things or you can do them. We had a lot of Kimberly saying... People are more scared than they need to be. Actually, it's very simple. And then she said something else about, you know, how easy it was. And then she came forth. (laughs) Sorry, Kimberly. I love Kimberly. She's such a brilliant baker. I really like her. I love her whole demeanour. But she was sort of setting her own self up for a fall, wasn't she? Yeah. People are more scared than they need to be. They're very simple. (sighs) Okay, then. Kiss of death. (laughs) Yeah. Although... In fairness, they don't capture the many, many times we say, oh, I can do this, and it all goes off without a hitch. So I think... Because that doesn't make good TV. No, 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 absolutely. Well, yes, it was a nice challenge in terms of, you know, the things they had to do, the creme pat, the ganache, the shoe. It didn't seem to be anything that people particularly struggled with. It did seem to be that I think Glenn's creme pat was a bit runny and somebody else's creme pat was a, a little bit thin as well. Francis, was it? Was it Francis? Is right, okay. But, you know, it was, it seemed to be a reasonably nice challenge. There seemed to be a lot of time of just watching the heads fall off of nuns, which I did find quite entertaining. I did also like the fact that, Mel, I think it was, uh, no, Sue said, um, I've never eaten a nun before. And it really reminded we should all watch The Killing of Sister George. <laughs> <laughs> Something I do just want to pick up on, though. I feel like Glenn and Kimberly maybe should have been the other way round, in the judging, that is. Considering that Kimberly's biggest flaw was the, it seemed to be the unevenness irregular, yeah. of the irregular, yes, the irregularity of the of the buns. But Glenn's was that his creme pat was a bit thin. And I thought that would have put him further down because if he's that's that's almost a, a a baking error, if you like. So that seemed a bit odd to me. I hadn't thought about it until you say it, but yeah, I would tend to agree actually because if you, if there's no creme pat in it, then that's sort of ruined, isn't it? I mean. Yeah, I think Francis, when you cut through into Francis's, you could see they weren't really filled very well, were they? Yeah. But um, I think Glenn had put his creme pat in. It was just that wonderful shot as you, as he squeezed it, it <laughs> shot out. Yeah. Talking a lot about spots today, aren't we? <laughs> I also really like the shot where they were injecting the creme pat and all of them were sort of wide-eyed as to how much creme pat was going in there. <laughs> it was quite funny. It, it's the funny thing is people think about shoe being very light and airy and by the time you put creme pat in them they're really heavy aren't they they're they are yeah that's the problem i find putting if i've done really put putting the heads on because they it's okay having that lovely heavy body but then you you put in a, a heavy head on top of that it's ooh, yeah sometimes i cheat and don't fill the heads so. <gasps> god oh i'd be very disappointed nice. i'd be very disappointed <laughs> Airhead, Howard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quite literally. Quite literally. So, tell me, guys, that thing they were injecting or injecting or piping in, what is? what was that? I don't have one of those. I thought that was really good. My mother used to have one of those. Do we know what they are? They're for filling donuts uh, is what she would use them for. It's like a syringe type piping 
It's not even a bag, is it? It's just. It's a... what I use to do my Botox. <laughs> nice, nice. You think he's joking, folks? <laughs> they don't. <laughs> I think Christine was sixth. Francis came fifth. Kimberly was fourth. Glenn was third. I thought that should have been the other way around. Ruby was second, and Becca was first. I don't think anybody had a particularly bad time of it. We've talked about Christine's being too flat and a bit overbaked, but everybody seemed to have reasonably good flavours, good crispy shoe, you know, all the basics of of profiteroles nailed. Yeah, and I thought Becca did well, and I think uh, winning the technical couldn't have been bestowed on a more grateful recipient. Uh, she seemed very pleased with herself having won the technical, uh, which is which is uh, <laughs> no, but it's it's quite a badge of honour to win a technical. It's it's a it's a nice thing. Short of Star Baker, it's a pretty good accolade, I would say. So uh, it was nice to see Becca with a bit of a smile on her face. She's been a very good baker, and she's missed out on on the technical quite a few times. So it's so nice to see her finally get that, and to a lovely shot of her enjoying all the profiteroles was such a lovely thing to end on. Now, if all this talk of pastry has got anybody a little bit excited for some of our upcoming classes, then no doubt you will be joining us for Howard's Week 7 Vegetable Suet and Homity Pie class, which will be coming up very soon. So, Howard, can you tell us a bit about that, please? What the heck's a homity pie? <laughs> well, well Dan, <laughs> listen and you shall find out. The suet pudding, we've decided to go for a kind of uh, vegan version of a steak and kidney pudding. So it's a stout and kidney bean pudding, and we're oh. going to have a stout gravy to go with that. And uh, it's got uh, mushrooms and all sorts in there as well. And then because that needs to kind of sit and steam away for a while, whilst that is is steaming, we're going to make homity pie, which is a traditional British pie using potatoes, onions, and lots of cheese. And we're going to give it different oniony flavours so it's got chives in there it's got garlic in there as well so it's really nice it's a lovely kind of picnic pie you'll be in savoury heaven won't you howard Mm, a little bit of savoury heaven and i do like the fact that you've gone vegetarian version as well because i have to say steak and kidney pie for me kidneys taste a bit (laughs) (laughs) just saying we have to remember what they are used for in the body quite (laughs) So that actually sounds really delicious. I have not, you know, I don't think I've ever had a homity pie, or not knowingly, anyway. No, really? Yeah. You're, you forget the North is like another country to us, Howard. It is true, yes. Yeah. It really is. For such a tiny island, there is so much variation <laughs> in the UK. And up North really is. It's like another, it's like a third country, isn't it, on the mainland? <laughs> I don't know. Fourth country. Have you had homity pie, Sarah? No, I haven't. Have it's, you not? Uh, it's not something I've had before. It's very popular around kind of Derbyshire in that area. So I would just like to point out that it does actually originate from Devon. So oh, close does to, it? Right, closer okay. to you guys than it does right. to me and Howard. So I'd just like to point that out. <laughs> but yes, if you want to find out what all the fuss about homity pie and suet is about, then please do come and join us for Howard's class. This is going to be on Sunday the 16th of April. Uh, and as Howard said, we are using a vegetable suet so if anybody is a bit concerned about using a meat suet do not worry for our friends in the uk you should be able to get suet fairly readily for those of you in the states we have had a few conversations with americans haven't we howard about the availability of suet you can get it on amazon i 
can't remember the name of the company that does... Is it Atora? It is, yeah. Atora. So if anybody wants to look that up. We also spoke about you can use frozen vegetable fat grated into shreds as well, if you want to do that. Just toss it into flour and it works the same, yeah. But if anybody does have any questions about that, please do not hesitate to contact us. And we hope to see you there for Howard's Suet Pudding and Homity Pie class on Sunday the 16th of April. Now, thank you everybody who's been sending in all your lovely questions. And we do have a question today. We have a question here from Carissa in Northport in Maine. Uh, now, first of all, she starts off by saying uh, a big thank you to uh, to you lovely bakers for coming back for season four. And it's lovely to hear your voices off season, so to speak. So thank you very much for all your lovely comments. It's been so good to hear that you're all enjoying this series uh, and it's not just us babbling <laughs> away to no one. <laughs> we enjoy it. Yes. <laughs> we do enjoy it. Now, Carissa says, I've always been curious to know just how original your bakes had to be. Obviously, it's a competition and the point is to be as unique as possible, but how far off a known recipe do bakers have to go to make it their own? Are bakers often following an exact recipe they found from another source that appealed to them and seemed to fit the brief? How does that all work? I thought when I was developing recipes that you had to be absolutely original. So I I, I, I started from scratch. And then a bit late in the game, uh, I think when we'd actually sent our recipes in, someone explained that if you change three significant things in a recipe, it can't just be that you swap kind of caster sugar for granulated sugar or something like that. It has to be that you swap pears for apples or sultanas for cherries or something like that. Three significant things, you can then class that as your recipe. But I don't know whether there's an official line on that. That's just what we would advise. But as I say, it was too late because I'd started from scratch with all my recipes. Yeah, I would say, so we got told the same thing. It has to be changed in three significant ways. And it could be the method. It could be, you know, whatever. But I think everybody on our, well, most people went out of their way to try and really be creative and do their own thing. However, there have been occasions where people sort of said, oh, I've used Paul's recipe for this or whatever. And you kind of think, what? And I have had people, I did notice on my season a couple of times where people really did just make a Victoria sponge and add some flavouring to it. And I thought, how on earth are you getting away with that? But maybe it's in the decoration, maybe it's in, they paired it with a different buttercream or something. And maybe some of us were shooting for the moon when we didn't need to be. And, you know, we could have saved ourselves a bit of time by going for things a little bit more standard. But I'm not going to make apologies for the way I chose to be on the show because that's who I am. And I think regret is a form of self-loathing. And I don't go down with any of that. <laughs> oh, this is all getting a bit personal. This it is. is. <laughs> Counselling session for Dan It is. Here. We definitely were told we shouldn't use other people's recipes. And I think somebody at one point had put down, and I can't remember who it was, a, a pool recipe and they were told they had to change it. Whereas I have noticed in in more recent series, they go, oh, Paul, when he comes up to this, this is this is your recipe. And you go, oh, it better be good then. We were never allowed to do that. We, you couldn't use Paul's. And But just to go back, you know, a Victoria sponge where you change the flavouring, you know, there's very little originality in the world, is there now? We've all, it's all, most of it's been done before. And a cake is a cake. A sponge is a sponge. You know, it's equal quantities of... 
Butter, sugar, flour for a Victoria sponge. You can't change a Victoria sponge. It, it's how you make a sponge. So there are certain things that everybody would have done before, but you then change your flavouring, change your filling, change the decoration, and make sure that if they use some plagiarism checking software, yours isn't going to come up because you change your wording. So there are ways around it, but... Yeah, you have to make it look as though, uh, apart from signature, which we've talked about, a spotted dick is a spotted dick. But I think you do have to try and make it your own, in your own unique way to fit the brief. And I think that's right. I don't think you should just go and nick Paul Hollywood's recipe or Mary Berry's recipe and make something. Because, okay, it shows that you can follow a recipe, but make it a little bit more interesting. It is TV. People want to see something a bit different. Yeah, there's a fine line between, you know, as you say, the ratios that work and then just straight out stealing someone else's recipes. Like for Victoria Sponge, uh, unless I'm weighing my eggs... The main recipe I use is, is a picky portion one that I've been using for, for donkey's years. And it's sort of 200, 200, 204 medium eggs. You know, so, so I go, but, I, exactly. you, but you can't just take that recipe and be like, oh, this is my recipe. You, I, I don't feel that you can do that. Can you? No, 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 you can't. But as you say, we know certain ratios work. And, and therefore, for a basic sponge, you're going to use those ratios. And I always weigh my eggs as well, because eggs vary so much. But then they're not being asked to do just a sponge, are they? If 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 they're making a cake, say we were making um, mirror glaze cakes, yes, maybe your sponge is the same as uh, a Victoria sponge that's flavoured with orange, and, but then you do different things and you add different things in the filling and you make it look completely not like a Victoria sponge. It is a very fine line, and I think you're right. Where people do fall down is they throw in all sorts of weird flavours that then Mary doesn't like or Paul doesn't like or don't put gherkins in your Victoria sponge because Paul doesn't like <laughs> Or goat's cheese. And also, you have to be very careful with the flavour pairing. We all go a little bit nuts on it. But for example, you might have three flavours you try and they work with each other individually. But when you put them all together, they don't work. You know, so you just kind of have to be, you have to be a little bit, little bit careful. But if you don't push the boat out, I'm like, faint heart didn't one fair lady or something. I don't know. There's some analogy I'm going for, some metaphor. I think you said exactly right. That was perfect. Faint heart never made Paul give you a handshake. Isn't that the analogy? I got three, so clearly I was doing enough. Um... (laughs) Not quite enough, Dan. Listen, you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there we go. Thank you so much, everybody, for your thoughts there. And thank you, Carissa, for your question. Uh, Please do keep sending in your questions. You can email us, uh, thebakedown at bakewithalegend.com or you can message us on social media. We are at bakewithalegend on all platforms. And we go into our showstopper challenge. Now, we have spoken, we've touched on this a little bit already that how much this was to do. We had four hours to do three different kinds of puff pastries. One filled, one iced, and one of choice. Now, I feel tired just saying those words. That's a lot to do. And uh, how much puff pastry do you think they actually had to make to get through all of that? Well, one batch. They would have made just one batch of puff pastry, wouldn't they? They wouldn't have made three separate batches or anything like that. I'm sure everyone just made one. No, but wait, wait. I reckon... Yeah, I just mean how much of it. Ah. I reckon about a kilo, kilo and a half. Yeah, probably. 
Oh, my goodness. It's not so bad because you've only got to make it once. And if you're working with big quantities, it's sort of it's easier to handle in a way because it's it's bigger. But, yeah, making puff pastry is, I've got to be honest, I like making croissant. I quite like making Danish pastries. But just making puff pastry, I give that a hard pass, i got to be honest, because it's so inexpensive to buy these days. And if you're not using it, you know, if you're literally just covering a pie in it or something like that, then just buy it. And if I even if I'm making something like milfoy, I just make rough puff. I have a really quick rough puff that I do in one turn. You know, you sort of chop in the large chunks of butter, do it a couple of folds and chuck it in the, the fridge. And it's done in one go. And I think it's almost as good as puff pastry. But of course, they would have been really looking for those distinct layers. You know, some people got them and some people didn't. Um, but I feel like very much... Okay, the presentation was part of it, but the huge part of the challenge was this puff pastry. So I'm intrigued to hear what both of your thoughts are on this inverted puff. Yes. Because I think that just, I get that it's a thing, but I just think that seems like a terrible idea. What, what did you think? It just sounds messy. I'd never heard of it. I had to look it up. Yeah, I must admit, I'd not, not heard of it. It is a thing, obviously, but it's not something I would, would choose to do now. And why would you when uh, you know Paul's going to frown and you know you're setting yourself up for a fall? I mean, a a lot of people swear by it and a lot of well-known bakers online swear by it as well. But I just think it's so easy to handle to ordinary puff pastry, rolling it out. I just don't know why, why you bother, to be honest. For those listeners who uh, are unfamiliar with this, could you just explain a little bit about that, the the type of pastry you're talking about? I think, and I've never made it, from what I gather, you, some, I don't know whether you mix your butter with a little bit of flour to start with to make it more manageable. Usually, yeah. When you make fluff pastry, you put a little bit of butter and rub it into your flour and then add your water to hold it together and then encase butter in that. I think you do it the other way around. So you add a little bit of flour into your butter just so that you can fold it. And then you put your dough in the middle and wrap it in the butter, which I think must be quite hard to handle because I think the butter must be very susceptible to melting on your hands. And the one thing for a puff pastry is you want to keep that butter as chilled as you can, really. That's as I understand it, as never having made it and frankly not intending to make the inverted version. That's the best I can do. I like I Google it while you guys are chatting. I also think in order for it to not stick to the bench, you must have to flour quite heavily. So then why bother doing it in the first place? Because then you'll you'll end up with a sort of a dough layer on the outside because you rolled it in so much flour, surely. I think this was Paul's point, really, because I think Glenn used it for his elephant ears, uh, the chocolate elephant ears, and they just said that the layers, there were just no layers in them. It just didn't seem to, to work at all. I'm not saying it never, never works, but it was just something that didn't seem to be necessary. And did that mean that Glenn used a regular puff pastry for the rest of his? No. I thought he used the inverted for a whole lot, yeah. But they said there were no layers, didn't they? And I think that's... But I I have to say, I do struggle. My layers, and I think Howard is one of these smug people who makes puff pastry very easily. (laughs) I think maybe my fridge is too cold because we're always so worried about food poisoning in our house that my butter layers harden too much and then they shatter 
and you end up with splinters of butter instead of a nice even layer. So I really struggle making puff pastry in my house. So I often end up with a lot of flake, but not necessarily distinct layers in the lovely way you might see on a croissant or a pan of chocolat or something. So can you, are you, are you a good puff maker, Jane? I'm a bit like you. I don't make it very often because it is so easy. You pay a pound for a sheet of puff pastry in the supermarket and they've even rolled it out for you. So if you're in a rush... It's much easier just to go and buy it. And cheaper when you look at the price of, a, 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 you know, half a pound of butter these days. It's cheaper to go buy it ready-made. And it works almost every time. So I'm, I make it occasionally if I'm trying to show off and then hope that it works. But rough puff, rough puff's a, a lovely one to do. And it takes half the time. So no, I'm not a great puff pastry maker. And I, I almost remember, and I could be misremembering this, I'm pretty sure Mary at some point has said, life's too short. But don't, you know, don't quote me on that, guys. Nobody heard that. But <laughs> I think she has. I think, she, I think has. she probably has. It's a bit like phyllo. Why, why make phyllo, frankly, when everybody else does it so much better? A nice enough challenge, I thought. I, I would quite like to have done it. I think I would have been incredibly stressed. But I was impressed overall by how well they all did, apart from Glenn, actually, who, you know, marked his own card, really, on this one. When you think back to the, the last current series, if you like, where they were having to do, were they having to do volivants? And I remember Shabira was the only one that got really good rise and layers. And sorry, current set of bakers, I'm, I'm not really cast, casting any aspersions or nasturtions, if you're a gardener, any aspersions on your baking ability. But it does strike me when you look back at some of these old series that the basic knowledge and ability, the good core range of baking skills. Yes, but it is the, the it is the core, isn't it? You know, you can make pastry, you can make shoe, because they really didn't have much trouble making shoe. You can make pastry, you can make shoe, you can make biscuits, you can make bread. Now, what you then do with those basic skills is entirely up to you. But it just strikes me that the bakers in the olden days were very good at their basic skills. And I think this challenge showed that they were very, very good at their basic skills. Well, you say that, Jane, but I haven't seen any drip cakes this season. So... (laughs) (laughs) But one thing I did think was very like more recent seasons was just the sheer level of stress in this showstopper. You could see people just like on the verge of a nervous breakdown at every moment, which was lovely to see. I mean, very comfortable viewing. But... (laughs) It did. There, it was just such a huge amount of work, and you could feel the panic. Thir- Thirty-six pastries in four hours. It's um. It doesn't leave much time for the shaping, and you got to you know, maybe want you'll want to try and chill that pastry down again before you bake it after you've shaped it. It's an awful lot of work, and an awful lot of the old mille fouille were made. Mille fouille, indeed. Now I have a question because I always cut mine. I cut them into individual squares and then assemble them because I think the alternative is just way too risky and messy. Do you do the same or do you do it in one big slab and then cut it up? I do the same. And actually, if I'm doing, when I'm baking it, I will actually mark out the middle and the top layers so that I know where the cut lines are. So they sort of half bake oh. and are half cut while they're yeah. baking as well. If you, Does that make sense? Even if I'm presenting it as a whole one, then the middle and the top layer will be already pre-cut or at least have 
sort of halfway cut through. There are all sorts of ways of doing it. But God, if you try and cut it with a squidgy filling, no wonder some of them actually mess them up a bit. I think it's time again, isn't it? I think if you're panicking about how much time you've got, I think it's much easier to be in control if you cut them individually and fill them individually. But if you're up against the clock and you think, I've got to do this now within 10, 10 minutes. Maybe, yeah. But didn't a couple of them not bake them with the weight? Oh, Becca no. certainly didn't bake hers with no. the weight on top. So they're much too much too fluffed up, which would have made assembly really very difficult, I would have thought, trying to cut that. If you do that, it's fine as like a pudding. If you just kind of put it in a bowl and have it and cover it in powdered sugar, it's kind of fine. But if you want it to be like a proper French patisserie style, it needs to be weighed down. It doesn't it doesn't work otherwise, I don't think. Because also you don't get the crispness. I noticed that she did dock it. Yeah, that doesn't really make that much difference. No, it clearly didn't make any difference because it was a, a huge pillow when it came out. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the flavours that we had there. Becca had some nectarine and frangipan in there that sounded beautiful. We had some Eccles cakes from Christine and uh, Francis's beautiful music-themed pastries. Uh, Glenn had some lovely uh, passion fruit mille fuile. Makes me laugh, Dad. That's really cool. Kimberly had some lovely flavours as well. I mean, she had lemon verbena and creme, um, sorry, fig orange and thyme galette. Sorry, what's what's verbena? Lemon verbena. It's a it's a plant. It, is it? It yeah. is a yes. it is a plant, and the leaves are fabulous. So they're they're little narrow leaves, a bit like shape wise, a little bit bigger than tarragon leaf, I suppose, and straight around the outside, I think. But the the smell, the lemony smell. You use geraniums you can get. Those scented geranium leafed geraniums that were very well, probably too young, very popular as houseplants at one time, where you rub the leaves in and they smell very lemony and fragrant. This lemon verbena, it's a perennial, grow it in your garden, comes back every year. Pretty plant to have in the garden, but oh my goodness, oh. the flavour is incredible you could probably get hand wash or and i think ruby there as well had some nice uh flavor she made some uh pasta stinata as well which uh i'm not sure were the best i think they had a few burnt comments but they you know they looked beautifully rustic as uh, pastes tend to do they weren't the most neat and beautiful but when paul said oh they're a bit burnt i thought no they're not they're fine they're, they're i think i think a little bit of dangerous browning on a pastage donata is not the end of the world i think it's fine as long as it doesn't taste burnt i think it's fine it's, it's supposed to have a deep flavor but maybe that's just my excuse for having slightly burnt pastage donata <laughs> But did she roll that pastry in order to get that? No. Um, she didn't. She just used it as a sheet of pastry, didn't she? She didn't yeah. roll it and then flatten it so that you've got that, that swirl on the base. I don't know. That was a missed opportunity. She could because she could have done that very easily because you make the first couple of layers in the same way as you do regular puff and then you just roll it up. So if she was smart, she could have done it that way. But then as people who've made Portuguese custard tarts quite a few times now, we know things that maybe weren't maybe immediately obvious to her. Hindsight is a good thing. It's it's 2020. It is. That's my superpower, Captain Hindsight. (laughs) (laughs) So were there any other flavours 
or or bakes or you know techniques that jumped out to anybody i usually agree with everything that mary says but something she said here that just really got my back up was when she was judging christine she said i'm not sure fresh fruit belong in a milfoy and i thought what the hell are you on about mary yeah i agree raspberries absolutely classic in a milfoy what on earth are you talking about or maybe she meant was it very wet fruit i, d- I don't quite know I don't think it was. But I, I'm not quite sure what she. I don't know what Christine had put actually in a meal for. It said they were called lemon cream eaten mess meal for you, weren't they? So I don't know whether there was any meringue or anything in there. We didn't see Christine making any meringue at any point, did we? So no, maybe she just put some raspberry or strawberry, and I can't remember actually. I thought I saw some maybe strawberry or was it maybe blackberry or something? It was a very sort of red coloured fruit um again this season and this the showstoppers particularly are suffering from a little bit of we don't get to hear too much about everything i feel like we get to the showstopper it's like oh we've only got 20 minutes there'll be all those history segments clogging up all the time yeah we had one uh, this week we only had one (laughs) i will defend i mean i don't want to give any anything away because but we're nearly there but francis is star baker and i have no idea what flavor a palmier's or a meal for it were so i think it would have been nice she got raspberries in her cream horns and it looked like a bit of cocoa dusted on a meal for you so i'm assuming there was some chocolatey something in there but Mm, you're absolutely right howard i've got no no flavors there no we've got the names of them uh, like you know, base clef, but milfoy. But we've not got the uh, the flavors. Yes, my uh, my stance on the history segments is starting to crumble. It is a bit. Isn't it? <laughs> I this is the hill I'm prepared to die on, so I will defend it to the last. But yes, I I do completely agree. We were missing a lot of information. Definitely, I have a lot of question marks in the comments section of the showstopper. So, yes, we did. I think Ruby just got untidy, untidy, burnt. That was it. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. They did skip through them very quickly, didn't they? It did. It did. There was a comment of Paul's that wound me up a bit. Cause, and, and he, when they were talking about, oh, who might have to go and who might, you know, and what, how well they're going to have to do in the show stop and blah, blah, blah. He said, we don't take these decisions lightly because, of course, anybody that goes is not going to get to the corner final. Don't take these decisions lightly. If someone falls off a cliff, then they have to go. Well, if they fall off a cliff, they, they, I'm not sure they're going to be capable of coming back. It's just one of those oh, you know. rather dramatic comment for what we're actually yeah. doing here. Yeah, don't fall off a cliff. I just thought, I for me, I thought the flavours all sounded delicious. There was a lot of stuff that I really wanted to eat in this. I think they did a great job under a huge time pressure. And when they pulled away at the end, leaving the tent ready to be cleaned up, I've written devastation. <laughs> because it did, you could certainly tell from looking at the benches, just how busy everybody had been. And I think they all stood up to it remarkably well. I mean, we do have to talk about, we did, actually, we mentioned it earlier, didn't we, before we started recording, that Mel sort of was helping um, Francis and then had to go over to Ruby and go, get a grip, get a ruddy grip. (laughs) 
thing. And Frances would have probably in her head going, Excuse me, you've got my piping bag. Just bring it back. Excuse me. I'll just be one um, second. <laughs> just give me one second. Sue, also I said she was licking her fingers. I think Mel and Sue must have been there helping quite a bit, although they were always told not to. And you didn't always want them to because they'd drop things in the sink. And, or elbow your muffins. Uh, elbow your muffins. Do you know what made me, this episode, even more than any, made me really nostalgic for Mel and Sue. Aww. I thought they were just, I, you know, tear comes to my eye. <laughs> I just love them. I just love them completely. They are, they are sadly, sadly missed. Well, we will round up this episode with talking about our Star Baker and, of course, our elimination. Now, finally, finally, after all of this style over substance, style over substance, Frances did really seem to pull it out of the bag. The judges were impressed and she got her first star baker, which is excellent. She had some very, very nice flavours and textures in her figgy roly-poly pudding. And uh, she didn't actually do too well in the technical. She came, uh, she came fifth, uh, but she did manage to pull it back for the showstopper and her music-themed puff pastries just looked really, really delightful. Selection of unflavoured pastries. <laughs> Selection of unknown flavoured pastries. Yes. I'm sure they were delicious, it's just we didn't know what they were. So do we think this is, do we think this is a uh, deserved star baker from Francis? I think, actually, controversial opinion, I don't think Francis should have won star baker. I think it should have been Howard. <laughs> now that would have been a trick. That would have been a trick. I think... Just in his absence, which was uh, sorely missed, we should have uh, in in his uh, we should have awarded him the Star Baker. But um, posthumously, posthumously, that was almost the word I was looking for, oh, and I thought, no, he is still with us. He is still with us. Oh, it was probably fair. I don't know. I, so we don't know anything about a showstopper, but um, you know, her presentation uh, was lovely and bit of a surprise to see someone who came that low in the technical win Star Baker, but then we've also seen people who won the technical go home that same week. So who knows? Uh, how that's all weighted but yeah I mean I think it was a bit overdue she's been a a bit of a star of this season for a while and it's quite surprising that it is in fact her first star baker in week seven it is it really is but unfortunately we do have to lose somebody each week as we all know and I think maybe I think we all kind of saw it coming especially with the showstopper it was Glenn's time to go he did actually very well in the signature as everybody did it was very hard to to rank people in the signature challenge and again he did actually rather well in the technical he came third in his words he got a bronze medal but his uh his showstopper just didn't work very well he had raw he had raw pastry he had no layers he had some reasonable flavors i think but i just think the technique of the pastry just didn't work and it was his time to go i just, i loved mel and sue's little uh, little bear hug they got from him at the end when it, when they decided he'd gone. So sad to see Glenn go. I was really sad to see Glenn go. And, and I think just the fact that uh, everybody was so close in the first two challenges, you know, we said Francis um, was the, at the bottom and uh, Glenn was up at number three. I think the margins between them must have been very small because it didn't the technical didn't seem to have a huge effect on the overall results so i suspect it wasn't too bad i just want to say we got a lot of sideways shots of them sitting there waiting for the result and i just want to say glenn has got the most adorable nose <laughs> 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 I wondered what you were going to say then. 
here we got lots of headshots going off into the distance and we had Glenn's head nearest to us Aww. he's got the most lovely lovely nose I mean, we just kept seeing the side of his nose and um, oh he's got the, he oh he's just lovely isn't he um <laughs> it's, it's sad to see anybody go but I shall miss his nose I think when I go for my rhinoplasty I shall ask for a Glenn <laughs> <laughs> you could go you could do a lot worse than asking for a Glenn I think it's adorable well we did have to say goodbye to Glenn and his adorable nose but yes we have our quarter finalists She's very exciting. Becca, Christine, Francis, Kimberly, and Ruby. And they will be moving on to next week, Free From Week. Thank you very much, Howard, Jane, and Dan, for joining me this week talking about our pastry week. And thank you to all our lovely supporters and listeners out there, wherever you may be. Please join us next week where we will be doing Free From quarterfinals. Thank you very much, everybody. See you soon. Bye bye. just heard a stripped media production hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.